I'm Michael Flake, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family, whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus. There's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us our spiritual growth is not just for our own benefit. We're all here to receive something this morning, but we also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also spread that love to one more person. You, you may know one of the great secrets to a TV show is that they'll always put characters in the show that you find relatable. Right? This is one of the, like, the best example of this would probably be The Office, uh, where there's a bunch of kind of crazy people, but then they put in Jim and Pam, and you think, wow, they're funny, personable, and attractive. You know, they're just like me. <laughs> and that's kind of how great TV shows, uh, that's part of the formula. I hope, as we have for the, these few weeks been studying the book of the Bible called Daniel, that you felt something similar. Daniel is a book of the Old Testament, the part of the Bible that predates the earthly ministry of Jesus. And I hope as we've studied this, if it's your first time today, that, that's fine. But if you've been here at all, I hope you've kind of related to Daniel, not only because he is smart, personable, and uh, attractive, uh, but because Daniel was pursuing God. Daniel pursued God in a culture that did not encourage that pursuit uh, in any significant way. Now today we want to look at what is probably the best known account from Daniel's life, Daniel and the lion's den. Now one of our elders instructed me, it was important to point out, this was like a cave, this was not like a den, like with a coffee table, and as a child he was always terrified they were going to let lions into his den. Uh, this is like a cave, it's a lair where lions were uh, were kept. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you may be familiar with this uh, account of Daniel in the lion's den. It's in Daniel chapter 6. We heard part of it earlier. It's important to note that when Daniel went through this, this was later in Daniel's life. So Daniel was not a young man when this happened. Th this account took place in the later years of Daniel's life. Uh, th this was in many ways the culmination of, the, his, it's interesting to note that his, the moment that we remember best from his life and that where his greatest impact came was in his later years. That, that a lot of his early years had really just prepared him for the great and lasting impact that he would make in his later years. So, so you have to go with me here. I call this sermon Grandpa in the Lion's Den. Or if you were, um, my daughter Indy, she calls her grandpas, her papas, she calls them Atta. So at our house, this would be Atta in the lion's den. But you sort of get the idea. Not a young man, grandpa, Atta in the lion's den. All of us are here today because we are pursuing God. That's what holds us together. The person who, who is just starting to explore who Jesus is and the person who's been a Christian for 50 years are on the same journey. Now, they're at different points in that journey, but it's the same journey. The journey is to know your Creator, to know God, and to relate rightly to God. So it's the same journey, even if we're at very different points. And then some of us have crossed the line of faith. In other words, some of us have come to the point that we trust God just enough that we invite him into our lives so that he can transform us. And when you cross over the line of faith, 
You're not only pursuing God, you're also living for God. You are being transformed by God, and it starts to change how you live. So Daniel is someone that we can relate to because he too pursued God. And at some point in his life, we don't know exactly when, he crossed over the line of faith and he began to live for God as well. So if you can relate to any of that, pursuing God, living for God, having God transform you from the inside out, at some level you can relate to Daniel. Daniel lived most of his life in Babylon. Babylon was a place that did nothing to encourage his relationship with God. And yet, Daniel and his friends learned how to thrive in Babylon. Daniel and his friends became esteemed by the people in that culture while also loving God and living for God above all others. So last week, we left off at the end of chapter 5. Today, we're going to pick up at chapter 6. At the end of chapter 5, you may remember King Belshazzar. Belshazzar was not the sharpest crayon in the shed, and so... In verse 30 of chapter 5, we learn that that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So now we're on to king number three. (laughs) We had Nebuchadnezzar, we had Belshazzar, now we have Darius. Daniel continues to thrive, even as the kings change. It doesn't seem to matter who's in charge at any given moment. The vibrancy of Daniel's faith, the vibrancy of Daniel's life is not tied into who is leading the government at any particular moment. I wonder if there's a lesson we could learn from that. I don't know what it is. I'm going to think about it and see if I can come up with something for next week. Daniel does not worship political power. Daniel's identity is not shaped by whether or not the king agrees with him politically. Daniel's identity is rooted in God, that he is God's child. He is part of God's eternal family. So now the king is Darius. Darius has 120 rulers who are throughout the empire supposed to be keeping order. At some point, Darius gets tired of having 120 direct reports. So he sets three administrators over the 120 uh, rulers. Now he has three direct reports. And we learn in chapter 6, verse 3, that Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So first he had 120 direct reports, then he had three direct reports, and of the three, Daniel was such a standout that, that the king, Darius, wanted to make him essentially like the COO of the kingdom, make him the one. So then Darius would have one direct report, and he could do what kings love to do which is nothing. He'd have plenty of time for doing nothing, wandering around the palace doing nothing. Now, how do you suppose the other two administrators and the 120 satraps felt about this plan? They did not like it. And so they decided to get back at Daniel, to get even, get Daniel out of the picture. And what they decided to do was to turn his pursuit of God against him, to turn his relationship with God against him, So apparently people knew Daniel here in his later years well enough to know the thing you can get him on is his faith, and we're going to turn his relationship with God against him. They convinced the king, Darius, who as a king was a sucker for a narcissistic decree, they convinced him to sign a law that made it illegal to pray to anyone except Darius for the next month. And whoever broke the law would be subject to a form of capital punishment. They would be locked overnight in a lair full of lions. 
Now, Daniel's lived in Babylon long enough. He's kind of used to these curveballs. So how will he respond? And what can we learn? What can we learn about how God shaped this man, Daniel, over the course of his life? Well, I have three insights from Daniel chapter 6 that you and I could benefit from. I'm sure there are more, but I found three. So here we go. Insight number one, number one, number, 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 number. One, Daniel chapter 6, Grandpa Atta in the lion's den. Insight number one, lures away from God come in all shapes and sizes. Lures away from God come in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes we imagine the kind of things or people that are going to try to lure us away from God, right? It'll be a, some evil atheistic college professor or or you'll be in the bank one day and the the security the power will go out the security cameras will go off the vault will open up and you'll be have this great ethical dilemma what should i do i'll be like the 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 drug dealer at the chipotle you know or i'm pretty sure i saw a drug deal go down at chipotle this week made quite the impression on me i stopped going to taco bell for one day and i am exposed to the criminal element but, but we kind of imagine, okay, I, you know, we know these sort of... What's interesting is that with Daniel, that's not what happened. With Daniel, it's King Darius. And King Darius genu- genuinely liked Daniel. In fact, of the three kings Daniel has worked with, Darius was the closest to him. Da- Darius esteemed him the highest. If you had just looked, stepped back and looked, you would have said, oh, thank goodness, finally I have a king I can work with. That's not what happened. And King Darius was going to give him like a great promotion, going to make him second in command. And when the king passed this law, he had no intention of hurting Daniel. Right? Come on, Daniel. Can't you just take a month off from praying to God? Can't you just take a month off of a vibrant relationship with God? It's only a month. You, you may sort of see what I'm getting at. Sometimes we think that it's the bad that's going to lead us away from the best. But in my experience, it's often the good that leads us away from the best. I mean, if, if you think about uh, your life or the life of people you love, maybe the people you invite to be part of our church, like why are you and I not as close to God as we want to be? Why are we not as integrated in the life of the church as we want to be? Well, usually it's good things, good activities. G- good, good things are what lead us away. Now, the point of this is not that you need to stop all your friendships or stop all your activities. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying we want to learn from Daniel, who over the course of his life realized nothing is as good as God. That there is no good worth pulling us away from God. And when he saw someone or something that was luring him away from God, he was not afraid to name it. He was not afraid to act on it. So King Darius passed this prayer law, and Daniel decides pretty immediately, I'm not going to follow that. Verse 10, we learn that when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. That was his home. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. You may remember in the next verse that it also points out that he was asking for God's help. Now, this did not go over so well. Some of the 120 satraps went and listened, and they heard Daniel praying. They saw him praying, so they went back to tattle on him to King Darius. They said, King Darius, you uh, remember that important law that you passed about 
uh, not praying to anyone but you for the next month, and you agree that law is still in effect, and you agree that the punishment is still being thrown in a den of lions, and Darius, eager to get back to doing nothing, said, uh, yes, yes, and yes, why do you ask? Well, long story short, Daniel got locked overnight in a lair full of lions, and King Darius was sick about it. Verse 18, we learn, the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. So Daniel's pursuit of God, Daniel's living for God, came at a cost. But because he had this deep identity as being God's child, he was not afraid to pay the cost. Or maybe he was afraid to pay the cost, but he was also willing to pay the cost. He had learned to turn to God to see how to respond to these things. And that gets us to insight number two, which is this. When you choose to pursue God, when you choose to live for God... Expect resistance. Expect consequences. Now let me be clear what I'm not saying here. I am not saying that you need to seek out resistance or to seek out consequences. If you pursue God long enough, if you live for God long enough, resistance and consequences will come and find you. You don't need to go and find them. They'll find you just fine. But the point is, don't be discouraged when you meet resistance. Don't give up when you meet resistance. Don't turn away from God in the face of the consequences. Resistance and consequences are an expected theme in the lives of people who pursue God. They are an expected theme in the lives of people who live for God. Daniel stood up to Darius's law and it looked like it was going to cost him his life. Which gets me to insight number three. I spent a long time on number one. You got worried. But insight two was quick. Number three, insight number three, number, number, finally, number three. Trust God and God's plan when faced with the fallout. Trust God and trust God's plan when faced with the fallout. Do the tough times in life push us closer to God or further from God? Do the tough times in life force us closer to God or force us further from God? Because when we choose to keep pursuing God, we choose to keep living for God, even in the midst of resistance, these become some of the moments that will define our lives. When Daniel was sealed in this lair full of lions, what for many people had been a death sentence, he continued to trust God. He knew he had done the right thing by not going along with the prayer law, and now he's in the midst of the fallout of the decision. And he keeps trusting God. Now, Daniel was not stupid about this. Daniel did not pick up a stick and go over and start poking the lions, say, God's going to protect me, God's going to protect me. He did not seek out resistance. But in the midst of the fallout, in the midst of the consequences that came from pursuing God and living for God, Daniel kept trusting God. So in the morning, King Darius runs to the den of lions, hoping against hope. I just imagine him waiting for the sun to peek over the horizon. He runs to the mouth of the den, he moves the stone, and he yells in. I imagine as a question. 
Daniel. Verse 21. Daniel answered, may the king live forever. Interesting, he, he uh, started his address in a way that what the, as the Babylonians would have. He didn't fight that. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. That's pretty gutsy. To say, I didn't do anything wrong by breaking your prayer law. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Miraculously, Daniel emerges out of the lion's lair unharmed. Why? The Bible says because he trusted God. Now, that is not a promise that you and I will get out of every tough situation without a scratch simply by trusting God. But it is an indication that that's exactly what happened in Daniel's situation. Daniel's trust in God sustained him during the fallout. And in fact, it sustained him so mightily that when they brought him out of the lion's den, they did not find a wound on him. This is one of the major themes of the Bible. It's one of the major themes for all of God's story. The theme is the importance of people trusting God. The importance of you, the importance of me trusting God. It's an Old Testament theme. It's a New Testament theme. It continues on to today. The importance of trusting God. How do people relate rightly to God? By trusting Him. By having faith in Him. Those are the same words in the original language. To trust God, to have faith in God. A person, when a person crosses the line of faith, when a person steps over the line of faith, he or she relates rightly to God. You think it should be more complicated than that, but it's not. When a person steps over the line of faith, he or she relates rightly to God. When you and I come to the place where we trust God just enough to let Him into our lives, to let Him transform us. We come into a right relationship with God. In that moment, we are made new. We move from death to life. When we come to trust God just enough that we will place our lives in the hands of Jesus, we come into a right and a reconciled relationship with the God who created you and the God who loves you. In the central moment of God's story, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human, Jesus Christ experienced the fallout from pursuing God and living for God. He got nailed to a cross. His trust in God got him killed. And he was put in a lair never to be seen again. They put a stone across the entrance, and the world that killed him slept fine that night. On the third day, he rose from the dead. He walked out of that lair that he had been placed in. His faith in God got him killed, and his faith in God got him resurrected. 
And so through Jesus' resurrection, God showed himself trustworthy in the midst of the greatest instance of fallout. That would be a different way to think about the resurrection. That in the resurrection of Jesus, God showed himself trustworthy in the midst of the greatest instance of fallout. So if God is trustworthy in the, instance, in the greatest instance of fallout, won't God remain trustworthy in the latest instance of fallout? We had an organ, we could really get that pumping. 815 it was hard, but maybe by 11 we can get that pumping. If God is faithful in the greatest and trustworthy in the greatest instance of fallout, the crucifixion of Jesus, won't God remain trustworthy in the latest instance of fallout, whatever you or I or Daniel or whoever is going through? I had someone come to me after the 815 service and say, I feel like grandma in the lion's den. Maybe you feel that same. You may not feel like grandma or grandpa. You may, but you may feel you're today in the midst of the lion's den. We know one person. We can point to one person whose faith in God got him out of the lair unharmed. We can point to another person who was also God, whose faith in God got him killed and put in a lair, and he came out of that lair, but with deep scars in his hands and his side and his feet. In other words, the tough times in life may leave you unscarred, or they may scar you deeply. The Bible has instances of both. But what we know is that the tough times can drive us closer to God. The tough times will be defining moments for us, but they can be defining moments for good, moments in which you and I come to a deeper appreciation of how trustworthy God truly is. God's always trustworthy when everything's going great. But sometimes it's in the tough times that you and I come to a deeper appreciation of how trustworthy God truly is. So my question for us as I wrap this up and we prepare for a time of reflection and communion, uh, my question I'd like us to reflect on is, in your pursuit of God, what resistance do you experience and how do you respond? In your pursuit of God, what resistance do you experience and how do you respond? We want to close out our service today with an invitation to the Lord's table, to the communion table, a place where we celebrate that Jesus' scars were not in vain. In fact, by his wounds we are healed. Through his sacrificial death, Jesus welcomes all people to come into God's eternal family. What resistance do you experience as you pursue God? I would invite you to come to the Lord's table. Come and remember how deeply and sacrificially Jesus loves you. Feast on it. Have your entire being nourished by it. I could say more. But I think the life of Jesus says enough. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to the Reverend Grace Seekers. So as we approach the Lord's table this morning, uh, reminded that while Daniel was arrested by Darius in the law, 
and forced to enter the lion's den. Uh, Jesus chose to leave heaven, chose to leave the right hand of the Father. He was not forced. He chose to come down to redeem this world, to redeem us, and to redeem you. And we remember God's action on our behalf as we take communion this morning. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So around the room, we will have six stations. All of them are gluten-free. And when you come up, take the bread, dip it in the cup, and receive it there. And I'll pray here in a moment, and we'll lead us in a brief time of reflection. And then when you're ready... All who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ are united, are invited to partake in the Lord's Supper. And if you're not there yet, we're happy you're with us this morning. Uh, feel free to continue in, in reflection, or maybe today is that day where you take that step of faith. Please pray with me. Father, uh, we come to you this morning, a lot of us feeling resistance feeling consequences, uh, feeling run down, feeling out, feeling empty. And we pray that you meet us this morning as, uh, as you met the world 2,000 years ago. We, uh, we confess how in the, the tough times, often we, we don't run towards you, we, we run away from you. We confess how hard that can be, and how much we failed. We ask that you help us, God. Help us turn towards you. Help us run to you. And we pray that you'll meet us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.